Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Ipsos Politics Talk podcast with your host, me, Kieran Pedley. I'm joined by my colleague, Holly Day, to go through the latest polling news from Westminster and beyond. Holly, welcome back. Hi, Kieran. So we've had a few um, a few topics to discuss this week, really, because we weren't going to do a podcast this week. But then we look back at the we've had the net zero announcements from Rishi Sunak, Liberal Democrat conference, some exclusive polling that we've done for the Rest is Politics podcast, and then of course we're looking ahead to uh, the Tory conference next week. So a lot going on. What stood What stood out for you? I think the fact we're starting to get policies is exciting, isn't it? Instead of talking about all these hypotheticals, where are people going to stand on issues, um, waiting for the manifestos to come out, conference is the time we start to get concrete policies and hearing what the parties actually think about these things, and it then gives the public an opportunity to have an opinion either way, which um, is obviously exciting for us conducting our, our polls. And the big one last week was the net zero announcement, wasn't it? We touched on it at the back end of, uh, of last week's podcast when we started to hear the news coming through about what might be announced and we did a little bit of polling last week didn't we Kieran so we've got some results on um, what the public thought of these announcements so I think we should start there. Yeah and I think that obviously on particularly on social media and it's easy to take a pot shot at social media isn't it but like the, the debate often gets polarised and gets people often try and deal in absolutes but I think in reality on, on a lot of subjects but particularly this one Public opinion on, on net zero and the environment is quite nuanced and I think quite complex in my opinion. Um, you know, overwhelmingly the public are concerned about climate change when you ask them about it. So around three quarters say they're concerned. Um, you know, the majority think that we're feeling the effects now. And so they kind of want action to be taken. And I think in our Ipsos Issues Index in August, uh, the environment was joint third uh, in terms of the most important issues Based in the country, although that's not unusual in the summertime when it's hotter, frankly, um, it's not normally that high. But still, the point is the public are concerned. Um, and when we've asked in the past about the net zero target in 2050, if anything, uh, around half want that brought forward rather than delayed. But that being said, obviously, it's easy to talk about sort of some not arbitrary targets, but, you know, targets that are in the future and, you know, without you being asked to explicitly do something, uh, yeah, bring it forward. But actually, when you get into the specifics of specific policy, um, it does depend a little bit on how much you're asking the individual to sacrifice. And so it will be no surprise to people that those measures to combat net zero that require a personal direct cost to the public tend to be, uh, tend to be less important. So at a very basic level, on the kind of boilers issue and sort of... Uh, phasing out gas and oil boilers, um, you'll get, you know, more in favour than opposed in principle. But then when you say, well, it might make it more expensive to replace your boiler than, than it otherwise would have done, then that almost flips round and people are more opposed than support. So we asked in the aftermath of Rishi Sunak's announcements kind of whether people supported or opposed, whether they thought it was the right or wrong decision to, to delay some of those measures. And it was pretty much evenly split between people that... Um, just under half supported and opposed Rishi Sunak's policies. But I think what's telling is that around 7 in 10 2019 Conservative voters were supportive of what, what the Prime Minister was doing. And so what you're starting to see, I think, is that you know, clearly he's aiming at a particular part of the electorate. Ultimately, when you... And we'll come to this with Labour, I'm sure, too. Ultimately, when you start getting off the fence with policy, you're not going to be able to appeal to everybody. And that's that goes for both parties. So it's about picking those... Um, 
picking those uh, those issues that can actually you know motivate their supporters to to vote for them or convince people to come across. My hunch, and like you know the, the post voting intention polling is only just really coming out, but my hunch is that it won't have a huge impact on the headline voting intention polling. I think we've seen a couple that have shown narrowing. I'm not personally persuaded that the measures Rishi Sunak announced are going to move the dial, but just because you're delaying banning new petrol and diesel cars and issues around boilers are probably not game changers in the way cutting people's energy bills might be. But I still think this line, this line of trying to sort of maybe push back on some net zero stuff to motivate 2019 Conservative voters to, to support Tories. I can see the logic of the strategy. It's, it's going to be one of those where it comes back to the implementation, though. But what, what was your, what were some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was interesting you mentioned the issues index from last month, because obviously there was quite a lot going on um, across the continent with the kind of wildfires, there were floods, the sort of things, as you mentioned, in summer, um, like peak people's attention. And that's why I think it was up at third, because it was in the news a lot, not necessarily for things going on at home, but things that people were seeing happening in the in the news. Um, in the issues index this month, it's actually dropped back down to fifth in in the rankings. Um, so only 18% of people telling us that uh, it was the most important issue facing facing Britain specifically. It's dropped back down below the usual uh, things we see at the top in terms of the economy, the cost of living, the NHS is always hanging around up there, and then it, immigration's actually jumped a little bit as well, and we might come on to talk about that later but that tells us that it's not kind of top of mind with the public as a whole but as you said the strategy with policy now is going after a particular part of the electorate a particular part of the base and that's why it's resonating with conservative 2019 voters much more than it is with labor 2019 voters so when you told us there are seven in ten conservative voters told us they were aware of the announcement and thought it was the right idea that drops to a quarter of Labour 2019 voters. So we're starting to see the kind of polarisation in opinion, depending on who you voted for at the last election, um, on these policy issues. And that's why I think Rishi Sunak has come out over the past, in the past couple of weeks, uh, on net zero, on immigration. I'm sure there'll be more announcements to come running up to conference to kind of put that distinguishing line between him and what the Labour policy might then be when they are forced to react um, and, and put out their position. I thought the reaction to the announcements was quite interesting last week because initially it was kind of trickling through as leaks, as these things tend to happen these days. Uh, he was then forced to, to make a speech on it. Um, and what struck me about that speech was, ha well, he has his pledges, but in this speech there are a lot of things he was saying he wasn't going to do rather than what he was going to do, including our favourite pledge on the on the bins i'm not sure how many bins people generally have outside uh, it started to make me panic that people did have seven bins knocking around i'm not sure what you'd put in them maybe that's a, a quiz question for later in the year what would each of the seven bins be um I, I got quite disillusioned to go off tangent slightly i got quite disillusioned at university where i saw a cleaner come in and take these three different recycling bins uh in the kitchen and just put them all into one bigger bag and, and, and take them off and i'm not saying that's what always happens but it's like <laughs> there was like three different recycling bins next to the rubbish bin and this lady picked three of these bags out put them in a bigger bag and then was off on her way and i thought okay it's not really uh, uh you know and that was just with three bins never mind seven that was just three let alone seven <laughs> but you know who, who's to say um 
Yeah, and I think like the point is, I mean, t- voter targeting isn't this simplistic, but I mean, at a basic level, we should always remember that, of course, there are more 2019 Conservative voters than there are 2019 Labour ones, right? Sure. So at, at a very basic level, if, if, if which they won't, if the Tories were to retain every single person that voted for them in 2019, they probably would win, right? Mm. So, uh, of course, it doesn't work that way, but like the point is, it's not... It is not an unreasonable political strategy, regardless of what your political persuasion is, to say, oh, let's just focus on the people that voted for us last time, because they did, and uh, we know that they have specific views on things. And part of the challenge, I think, with this whole net zero thing for the Tories is that, uh, on the one hand, he's not saying he's going to delay net zero, so there's always going to be someone to, to Rishi Sunak's right. Uh, I mean, you, could argue, you can debate how much reform and others have actually cut through, but like, there's always going to be people on the right that say, well, actually, I don't agree with the target at all. And uh, so, you know, it's a bit like in the past when the Tories have had been outflanked by UKIP and the Brexit Party on immigration. Um, but then also, like, it, it would be wrong to say just because 2019 Conservative voters as a whole tend to be a bit more sceptical about not so much uh, net zero, but like actually that some of the measures to achieve it. It doesn't mean they're climate deniers or completely hostile to these policies either. So it's that... It's that kind of balancing act, I think, that is a uh, is tricky. And I think, to be fair, Rishi Sunak recognises that balancing act, which hence he's not delaying the actual target itself. Yeah. But um, but that's always the challenge with some of these policies. Um, it sort of brings me on to the Lib Dem conference, Holly, I suppose, because we talk about the Tories and the different flanks that they're fighting on, and we might come back to that during the conf- uh, talking about their conference. But we've had the Lib Dem conference this week, haven't we? So. Uh, it's kind of interesting, like some of the rucks that have been happening uh, internally there. Yeah, um, and obviously the the green agenda, net zero, that being part of the agenda is is going to benefit the Lib Dems, right? Because that's one of the key kind of policy areas that they um, that they're willing to stick their flag to the mast on. Um, I think in terms of favourability, they're, they're ticking along quite well, to be honest. Um, I think they're, fl- they're going under the radar a little bit, which I don't think they'll necessarily mind. Um, they obviously had the recent, well, not so recent anymore, but the by-elections we've been having throughout this parliament, they've had successes in them, they've been building up their vote share quietly in the background. Um, and I think the challenge for them now, as it as it always is, really, with the electoral system that we have, is going to be converting that into successes at the general election. Um, we know that they struggle uh, because they do a lot of targeted campaigning during the by-elections, and that that is very successful for them. But in the general election, when they've got to spread that across the whole country and potentially come up with a list of, right, what are our key target seats? Because they'll be fighting on multiple fronts because they'll be in second place in many places to to Labour, probably in the North, um, and they'll be in second place to, to the Conservative Party currently across, across constituencies in the South. So it, it's a bit of a tricky pincer movement for them because they've got to... They've got to almost fight on local issues on a national scale against both parties, which means a, almost a different strategy for um, every every constituency they run in, to be honest. Um, yeah. What do you kind of think their, their, their chances are of making a success of that and turning these by-election victories into something a bit more substantial at, at the generals? I think that I think what they've got to hope is that their support increases during a campaign, mm. because at the moment their their average I haven't got their average polling figure nationally in front of me, but it, it's pretty much flat in line with what they actually got the last general election. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm right in saying I'm sure Mark Pack will jump on me if that's not true. Uh, 
Shout out to Mark. He knows his stuff on this. Um, but what I've noticed looking at the favorability numbers for the Lib Dems you mentioned, right now, 21% favorable, 36% unfavorable, the rest kind of neutral. And I think the, the important point for polling nerds among us is that at Ipsos, when we talk about favorability, we do give a neutral option as well to the public. So what you often find is that there'll be a that the favourable and unfavourable numbers will feel quite low because there's a bunch of neutral people in the middle, which when you're polling the population as a whole who aren't that politically engaged, generally, that's probably not surprising. But back at the last election, 23% uh, were favourable, so a similar number, but 47% were unfavourable. It's a little bit like Labour, where like hostility or, or, or negativity around the Lib Dems has, has fallen since then. I suppose the question will be, at a general election, uh, to what extent can they get some momentum and, and, and uh, you know, end up 15, 16 or something like that in the polls? But we'll have to see. Because I suppose, at least at a basic level, if they're polling similarly nationally now to what they were at the last election, like there is a, there is a narrative there. There is, a, there is a, a point there where you might say, well, OK, they've won these by-elections where turnout is much lower. But actually, in a general, it might be a bit different. So we shouldn't assume that Dems will gain loads and loads of seats, but I guess we'll have to... Uh, We'll have to wait and see. I also sort of think part of the challenge that became clear this week was the you know, debates about housing, um, which are sort of rumbling on within the Lib Dems. I mean, the Lib Dems and Greens do benefit from being a little bit nimbiest in certain areas. And you wonder how that's going to play with a national message at a general election you know, when you're trying to appeal to young people versus disaffected or liberal Tories in rural areas. They're kind of different groups of people. Um, but that that all being said, I think what the Lib Dems have done quite well so far is being a, being able to be a bit a bit of the none of the above party. I mean, that's a, I don't mean that in a in a, in a sort of a offensive way, but they've been able to do that and be a lightning rod for some of that disaffection, particularly on the conservative side. So it might be that in a general election they can do they can do something similar. Um, but let's talk about the Tories. So it's Tory conference next week. Rishi Sunak's made his five pledges at the beginning of the year. So we've got uh, some fresh polling out. I suppose once this is actually published, uh, the conference will be going on. So we've got some fresh polling out about those. What do we, what, what do we see in terms of the public opinion on progress from Sunak on his pledges? Yeah, the pledge, his pledges... Um... Well, we, we talked about, I think it was a couple of podcasts ago, where he was making, he really wasn't making progress at all. At that point, inflation was spiking. Um, obviously, his first pledge was to half inflation. So he was he was having particular trouble with a couple of, with a couple of the economic pledges. I think we've seen recently that he's had some better economic news, um, but that hasn't translated into the public... Um, giving him credit basically or, or thinking they're going to he's going to fulfill these pledges so on all five of his pledges um in terms of how the public think he is doing on them currently uh, he's doing significantly worse than the start of the year across all five particularly on those to do with well across the board to be honest but particularly those to do with um with the cost of living which is obviously top of our issues index consistently so that's a bit of a big problem from it f for him. Um, stopping the boats, obviously, that's become and detaining uh, illegal migrants and um, and removing them from the country. That's another topical issue we've had this week with Suella Bradman's speech out in Washington. Um, he's he's dropped from 
people people gave him net minus 19 at the start of the year he's at he's now on net minus 52 on that so it's that's really gone um in the wrong direction probably worth yeah i mean it's probably worth pausing briefly just to explain to listeners what we actually did so like on this because rishi sunak's pledges are quite uh long as individual sort of targets so uh, as an example uh pledge one was to halve inflation to ease the cost of living and give people financial security there's kind of two things in there right there's the, there's the action of halving inflation then there's the sort of consequence of easing the cost of living and giving people financial security i'll give one other example um so you know growing the economy uh creating better paid jobs and opportunity across the country so you've got growing the economy there but then you've also got the more broader target of creating better paid jobs across the country so the way we've polled this is we've split the five pledges into two parts and, and sort of so an action and a consequence if you like and asked people what are the most important and then how 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 good or bad a job is, is Rishi Sunak's government doing on them, but then also would Labour do better? And so um, that sort of explains a bit of the background about what we did. When you ask people which ones are the most important, you're, you're right, Holly, um, easing the cost of living uh, and giving people financial security, ensuring people can get NHS care more quickly and reducing NHS waiting times, they're the three that have more than half saying that, you know, choosing them as the most important. But when you look at 2019 Conservative voters specifically, whilst those those three are, you know, above a half or above, so too is making sure people that come to Britain illegally are detained and swiftly removed. So just to echo the point you're making, really, that amongst uh, amongst, 20, amongst 2019 Conservatives, they do care about the cost of living, they do care about the economy and the NHS and all those things, but um, the boats thing is also important too. Yeah, the cost of living, so the, the public priorities that you've mentioned there with cost of living, a couple on the NHS, then the economy, that's directly reflected in the priorities of the 2019 Labour voters in that exact order. It's when we flip to the, to, to the 2019 Conservative voters that we see that completely shift and easing the cost of living isn't then in the top five which which really did surprise me um their their top priority is reducing the nhs waiting lists and then we've got the uh the pledge on detaining illegal migrants and removing them from the country um stopping the boats is up there as well so we can see that there are particular policy priorities that are of interest to the conservative 2019 base that sunak and his cabinet are well seem to have been focusing on over the past couple of weeks with their speeches potentially in the run-up to conference and we can start to see what um what sorts of issues and topics might be dominating that but also potentially looking at issues that they might feel like they're stronger on or have a stronger message on or a more coherent message or just a better electoral chance on compared to the Labour Party because it then forces the Labour Party to have uh, a counter policy and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we had our a splash in the evening standard asking if the real Keir Starmer would, would please stand up. At that point, people weren't sure where he stood on particular things. And we said, it's not necessarily a bad place to be currently, because if people are indifferent, they're not disliking you necessarily. Um, at, at now he's starting to come out with, with um, counter policy arguments, depending on what the Conservative Party are coming out with. We're then seeing the Conservatives kind of jumping on uh, attack lines based on what he's coming out and saying. Um so the strategy for Labour, um, I guess, over the next couple of weeks running into their conference will be to attempt to strengthen their own base as well and define what their policy priorities are going to be 
um, both in response to what the Conservative announcements have been, but also to set the agenda of what they want. We'll be able to see what they're, they're wanting to run their electoral strategy on over the next couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, and I think what stands out to me is a few things, but what stands out to me most of all are these numbers on Sunak's and how he's delivering on his pledges. It's just the, it's just the sheer awful numbers for the NHS. So, I mean, you've got 7 in 10 saying that his government are doing a bad job reducing NHS waiting lists and, and, and 7 in 10 saying his government are doing a bad job ensuring people get the NHS care they need more quickly. Mm. Now, the Tories being a bit unpopular on the NHS... I mean, that's a mild understatement, but like that's probably not surprising. But at the beginning of the year, it was 55% saying bad job on reducing NHS waiting lists and 54% saying injure, uh, bad job on ensuring people get the NHS care they need more quickly. So this was always a problem, the Conservatives, but it seems like it's getting more of one. And I suppose what I would flag to people is, um, I think there's this traditional view, not that the NHS is unimportant, but like, People sort of think politically the NHS is always a big issue, but and it's always an issue Labour win on. But ultimately, you're probably going to be already voting Labour if that's your dominant kind of issue, so to speak. And um, you know, because patient concern about the NHS has been rising and you know it's not been in a good place for a while, people almost assume that that can't be a game changer at a general election for reasons I've said. Whereas I do wonder at this one. Who knows? But I do wonder whether like the intensity of concern about the NHS is going to be at a little bit of a different level. Um, and so that's something I've been looking for at a Labour conference, I think, as to how, how do they how do Labour tap into that? Because on the one hand, I think talking about reform and it's not just about money. OK, that's going to be something that Labour, prospective Labour governments are always going to want to say that because the traditional concern is often about Labour raising taxes and, and and how are they going to pay for things? Although in our rest is politics polling this week, which people should check out on our website uh, and listen to the podcast, you don't need me to tell you to listen to that though. Obviously, um, we found people were as likely to think that Labour would raise taxes as the Tories. So maybe that's not a, a winning attack line this time around. We'll see. But I do wonder if that's going to be um, more of an issue than we're anticipating. Because I think when you look at Rishi Sunak's pledges, there's a lot of people talking about the cost of living, a lot of people talking about boats, for understandably given the concern Tory voters have about that issue. But I almost feel like sometimes the NHS doesn't feel like it's on the political agenda in the same way. Uh, and yet you look at, when you, when you poll about Sunak, Sunak's pledges or Starmer's missions, and you ask which are the most important to you, it's the NHS ones that are always top. Mm, and and it's the NH one of the NHS pledges is top for the Conservative 2019 voters. So that just echoes what you said there, Kieran, that it might not traditionally have been thought as a as a kind of top order issue uh, for those voters. But if if they're both if they're yeah if they're both fighting on that front, it's going to be really interesting what the Labour Party come out with at conference in in a couple of weeks' time to to differentiate themselves because I think there are, there is an opportunity there, as you said, given given Sunak's numbers on on those particular policies and how the direction of travel since the start of the year. Uh, and how that's been deteriorating. So let's finish briefly, just a couple of minutes on Sunak himself, which is the Prime Minister himself. Um, we talked on the last week's podcast about how his, his, his personal poll ratings are getting worse. So in our, in our Epsos political polls, we've got 52% unfavourable towards the Prime Minister, 24% favourable. And that has like steadily worsened since he, since he became Prime Minister. His net satisfaction rating on our political monitor, which is a different poll, 
uh, is minus 44, which is similar to what Jeremy Corbyn was getting uh, as Labour leader going into the last general election. So he would obviously want to turn that around um, because we've talked about how there are maybe doubts about Labour, about how their numbers, you know, I, I had a piece in the Evening Standard that talked about how if you looked at Labour's numbers alone and Starmer's numbers and what people thought of the Labour Party and you didn't know, you know you've been on a rock, under a rock somewhere, you didn't know what the Tory, what the voting intention figures were or you didn't know what people thought of the government, you'd look at that and go, well, that's kind of similar to what Ed Miliband was getting and Labour were getting then and they obviously lost. So it's not that great. But at the same time, you know, it isn't in isolation. That's not how people vote. And the fact is that there are all sorts of stats about how people want, I think almost nine in 10 want a fresh team of leaders, time for a change, all this sort of stuff. Rishi Sunak's poll ratings are not great. So what do we think he's got to do next week to actually, I mean, he can't turn that around in one go, but what, what do you think he, he needs to be doing to at least start that process? He's certainly got an opportunity, hasn't he? And I was talking to Cameron the other day, actually, about this. I'd completely forgotten somehow, um, been living under, under a rock, that he's not had the opportunity to do a conference speech. This time last year, Liz Truss was still um, was still the Prime Minister in the, in the heady days of October 2022. Um, so we didn't talk about her comeback. But then maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's for another day. Yeah, well, she might make an appearance. You never know. There, there, are, there are things that could um, certainly... Uh, throw a few stumbling blocks next week um, with, with different people potentially going rogue with different speeches. So uh, that'll be interesting when I head, um, when I head into town next week to, to Conservative Party conference. But yeah, I think he's got an opportunity with his speech to set out his stall. There are still, um, in, our, in our polling figures, there are still people telling us they don't know or they feel indifferent or they're kind of neutral on whether they do or don't like him. Granted, not many. Most people do have an opinion and a negative one currently. And as you said... The direction of travel since the start of the year in particular isn't going particularly well but he's still got a net favorability score of plus 17 amongst conservative 2019 voters so he's still in positive territory with the base and i guess if he can bolster that um with either policy announcements that that people might like um some of the personal characteristic stuff we talked about on the last podcast about kind of being honest being decisive, if he can bolster some of those numbers, um, particularly because we know that Keir Starmer isn't strong on some of those either from a personal perspective, um, he needs to set his, set his stall out as kind of a, a capable prime minister again who can who can lead people through crises, who can turn around some of the issues, particularly in public services, that the public, um, that the public are worried about at the moment. But um, it remains to be seen whether or not he'll be able to, to do that. But interesting to see what his first leadership speech at a party conference will contain i don't know what do you think he's gonna um how do you think he's gonna fare given it's his first time out we'll have to see what he what he's going to say mm. i think when we look at rishi sunak you're right to say this is um i hadn't hadn't occurred to me this was his first conference as leader mm. actually and prime minister so it's, it is, is a big moment and we've often talked about as analysts in the media and, and on podcasts about Keir Starmer's need to put forward a, a vision for the country and, and, and to, to explain what a Labour government stands for and what it would do. And I, feel, I still think that that's important and true for lots of reasons. Maybe we'll go on uh, to another day when we're talking about Labour. But I also would say that the same is true of Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives. You know, they're going to go into the next election 14 or so years into office 
in the past they've been able to run election campaigns on you know long-term economic plans or getting brexit done this sort of thing i mean less less successfully on strong and stable um but they, they, there's always been a message that they're trying to run on and i think if i was going to give one criticism of uh, the overarching message from Sunak's speech last week, it was a little bit confused as to what what his overarching vision or message is. It was talking about long-term planning, and I'm going to do... It's almost implying I'm going to do unpopular things because they're the right thing to do for the country, um, whilst also then sort of delaying some short-term measures that are directly feeding into a long-term problem of net zero. Whatever your whatever your individual whatever someone's individual uh, opinion on net zero is and the individual measures, it felt to me like a little bit of a clunky confused narrative. And I suppose just like anybody else, Richard Sunak needs to explain why do you want me to have five more four or five more years, particularly at a time when people are very negative and and, and not particularly impressed by his record on his pledges. What is the brighter day the Conservatives are going mm. to offer down the road? Um, you assume that's going to be related to tax cuts, or I do, but I don't know um, because I don't, I don't imagine extra spending is going to be on the agenda for the Conservatives. So maybe it's going to be something there. But you, I'm looking for I'm looking at what what policy solutions he's got, of course. But then I suppose he's got his pledges. But I think it's also about what is the message, what is the line that the Conservatives are going to. Um, pursue at the next election because presumably Labour's will be time for a change or some 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 articulation of that um so you know the Conservatives are going for you know almost two decades in power if they won the next election so um they've done it before I mean you go back to 1992 that was an election that for a long time people thought Labour were going to win and and, and John Major pulled off a surprise um so it has happened but I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the message is that comes out of that. But final word to you, Holly, before we wrap up. Yeah, I think the the other challenge is that the Conservative Party brand um, figures that we have are also going in a similar direction. And we've talked previously on this podcast about the combination of the personal ratings and the party ratings. Uh, if they're both on a slide, it's really tricky, even if you turn one around um, to to make the public see either you as a, as a prime minister or your party. Um, as kind of like want, wanting that to happen again uh, and voting for the general election because I think looking at our trend charts, the Conservative Party brand uh, statistics have been worsening since kind of mid-2021, which is, I think, is that like party gay? I don't, it's years ago now, but I think that kind of chimes with, uh, since then, the, the brand's been on a slide. So this conference is going to be a really big opportunity for them and for Rishi Sunak, as we said, to to try and start to turn some of those figures around. If he can, it's then over to Keir Starmer the following week to, as you said, um, put out what his kind of policy platform is, what his vision is, and see if uh, he can turn around the don't knows, the neutrals, the people that aren't particularly sure. And it'd be really interesting to see which camp they then fall into off the back mm -hmm. of the conference, because I think that's going to be a real watershed moment um, particularly in the polling that we look at anyway, to see what difference that then makes when they both have a policy platform to stand on. They've both done their keynote speech. I'm sure there'll be slogans flying all over the place that, we've, that have been focus grouped to death that we can then pick apart. Um, but we'll then have, the, the public will then have kind of choices to start to begin to make possibly a year or so, or don't want to predict the future on the general election. But yeah, that sort of distance 
out from a general election. Probably something. Certainly going to be interesting and uh, one we'll be watching very closely uh, in our polling. Um, Holly Day, thank you very much for your time. And uh, that's all for this week's episode of the Ipsos uh, Politics Talk podcast. If you like what you hear slash see, as ever, please do like and subscribe and tell a friend about us. It all helps us get the uh, podcast uh, out there and uh, gain more listeners, which we very much appreciate. But for now, thanks for listening slash watching and have a good rest of the day.